Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Real spoilers powered by ReviewSTL.com. Warning. The following film discussion will ruin the ending of any movie you haven't seen. Example. Bruce Willis is dead at the end of The Sixth Sense. See how I ruined it for you? Just like that. Here are a few more. Silent Breed is people! I am the father. Get it? Real spoilers. You've been warned. Broadcasting from the lush but not lavish studios located in the basement of the O'Keefe Institute for Advanced Film Snarkitude, this is Real Spoilers, episode 576, our... Another foray, foray into the world of misbegotten sequels, 2010, the year we make contact. At first, Thanks. I was like, who is this four-way with? Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> so the Skype is getting crazy. So yeah. let's go around the table and everyone can introduce themselves. This is Joe. This is Kevin. And this is Tom. Uh, quick shameless plugs. Don't forget, we're available on Apple Podcasts where you can go there, rate, review, subscribe, so you be sure and subscribe wherever you're at so you never miss an episode. We have a new review that we told you about last time. We will read this Oh, one. new zoo review. Yes. Coming this right to you. From Sir Marky Mark. I think it's I like funny. It already. You guys are have been around me so long, you're making old-timey references to things you've never seen. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they didn't say the funky bunch. Right. No, I meant the new zoo review. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's true. So uh, this is uh, the title is movie enjoyers talking about movies. And he says, I really enjoyed this movie podcast. Hands down. Ten stars. If I could give it honestly, the guys Ooh. and guests explore the inside of movies by going scene by scene from beginning to end. Uh, they talk about what works and what doesn't and funny different viewpoints and what I enjoy about the movie conversations. It is extremely detailed. They talk about everything from costume differences and actors who work or don't to how things are different from the book or a comic book. The The best are comic book movies discussions and the podcast will delve into the views, personal views of the characters. Uh, this is the best to listen to while stuck at home during the real-time pandemic i'm a fan and highly recommend this podcast thank you for the large volume that i am binging so thank you that's awesome oh. yeah it's very thank nice. you mark listening. Wahlberg. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we expect you to donate soon yeah you can, you can <laughs> yeah. be on you can be a guest the next episode when we talk about scoob 
<laughs> yeah. Exactly. I thought, oh, he must have heard my good words online about yeah, Scoop. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So, um, so also, uh, don't forget, you can find us on Facebook. If you just can't get enough of us, facebook.com slash real spoilers. While you're there, like the page and join the group. And then, of course, uh, check out our uh, Patreon. Apparently, Tom's trying to make people pay to be on Facebook now, I heard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Given our last episode, yes. Last oh, week. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, our Patreon, patreon.com slash real spoilers, where for five bucks a month, you get all sorts of bonus content and you help out, and we appreciate that. So, uh, anyway. Um, 2010 the year we make contact you want you know one of the things i find so fascinating about this movie is you spent years after 2001 wishing you had more answers and then you get them <laughs> and and i i honestly feel like a lot of times with a sequel like this those answers are kind of retconned you know what i mean yeah and sure. and, and uh and so you're like well, they retconned a bunch of stuff that I don't think works, and so like meh, I don't. I don't feel like that's what's at play here. I mean, Arthur C. Clarke was involved. I, I feel like a lot of Heavil- what heavily involved, right? I feel like a a lot of what they're explaining, you know, was either in the book that that was written in in tandem with the film two thousand one, and uh, or and and is on the screen or things that you could kind of surmise from having seen the first film. But once you get the answers, you're kind of like, oh, well, somehow that made it all less magical. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree with you. None of the answers felt forced or made up to me. Like, they all felt like they fit. But to your point, I didn't feel like I needed them. So I was kind of struggling with that. Um, I'll just come out and say, like, I liked this movie. I thought it was a solid movie. The Agreed. only thing it lacks is Stanley Kubrick, right? Yeah, the, like, the only thing missing the, is it's not from one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, <laughs> but to you know, to put it simply, that's I think that's very true. But the thing is, this movie, as solid as it is, and and it's a it's a solid space movie, but it lock it lacks the polish, it lacks the the cinematography and the camera work and the decisions that Kubrick made, like when they're walking. Walking through space, they look like they're just walking on Earth in regular gravity. You know, you don't have a director yeah. saying, "Hey, move like this, act oh, like sure, this." Sure. Um, let's use classical music or silence as opposed to a regular score. So, while the movie on its own, I think can stand on its own, and I and I really enjoyed watching it, especially as a follow up. I couldn't help but to miss those those touches that Kubrick added to it yeah and it's so, very it's very similar to Butch and Sundance the I was, early years yes, in that regard and just that about it's to like, say that yes. yeah it's not a bad movie it's just not a classic film and I thought it was an interesting choice first off this director they got even though he's not necessarily a name director I'm glad you brought that up he is not because a hack it's by any stretch of the imagination well Hang on. No, no, no. You're focusing on one film in his catalog. No, the, not all. The, not just one. This guy, I mean, I think the reason they picked him was because of Capricorn 1 and yeah. Outland. But oh, yeah, those are both sure. good-looking movies. Yep. And and he did um what? He he did Running Scared, which is a really solid really, buddy cop really movie. Really solid movie. Yeah. Now, and wait a minute. Pres- He's the Presidio. executive producer on a movie. Yes, he was the executive producer on a movie that uh, I know Joe loves. What? Do you know this, Joe? No. He was the EP on Monster Squad. Adam, well, okay, I, mean, I take I take what I said back then. So yeah, Joe, would you like to retract? I mean, a almost. I, I will say he 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 wanted Van Damme in this movie as the Bob Balaban character. Like he pushed really hard to get Van. Did Damme he really? This. No, I'm making that up I'm just not, because he did. Like, oh, okay, I was no, like, I was six movies after that. the fact with Van Damme. Yeah. 
I was going to say he was going to make the wrong choice. No, yeah. so but he but he okay. So to Tom's point, he also did Stay Tuned, which isn't bad. That's a good little yeah under the radar movie. Time Cop, okay. Sudden Death, uh, The Relic, End of Days, which is not bad. That Schwarzenegger's kind of coming back party. That's he was gone yeah. for a while. He was coming back. Uh, the Musketeer, not good. And then um, Enemies Closer in 2013, another Van Damme movie. Uh, so some somewhere along the line, he and Van Damme hooked up, and it was a match made in heaven for yeah. them. But but I mean, <laughs> if if you look at his overall catalog, he's a successful director. He's cert- I I don't know that he, we'd consider him an auteur, but like, but he's he's also not awful. No, what is no, Hanover no, no. Street starring Harrison Ford? Yeah, uh, there's, I think one, it was like he, a, there's two in there with uh, Gene Hackman too. Yeah, it was like Jeez. an Oscar bait movie that that didn't work. <laughs> the Hunter with yeah. Steve McQueen, like the Hunter's a good movie. The Hunter, yeah. I think that's McQueen's last movie, right? It is, yeah, yeah. Oh, and this... Outland with Sean Connery. Yeah, that's how we got this movie. Yeah, wow. I think that and Capricorn yeah. One are how. Mm-hmm. And Outland, I think, is kind of a snooze, but it, but I remember it as being a good looking movie. It was clearly important to him because he wrote it, he directed it, and he was the cinematographer and the producer. So, like. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, clearly, uh, what's his name? Peter Hyams? Yeah. This project was something very important to him. And I was watching interviews and behind the scenes of the original movie and then also some interviews about this one. And he says that he got Kubrick's blessing on this movie. He said he wasn't going to make it without his blessing. Yeah. Now, clearly, Kubrick didn't work on it. But he also, he said, like, yeah, I wouldn't have done it if he didn't say, do your own thing. And he he pushed him forward and said, yeah, make your movie. Make the movie that you want to make. Make it your own. I think in Kubrick's head, he's never said this, but I think in Kubrick's head, because of the book i think he looked at this movie as a sequel to the book not a sequel to the film <laughs> yes this is like very much a shining situation yeah, in my yeah, mind. Yeah. like this is dr sleep well what what dr sleep though i think threads the needle and manages to be a sequel to both well sure you sure. know it's just it's, similar situation with yeah. the same director it's funny oh that's true yeah <laughs> yeah uh yeah i was actually just but, thinking um, of and seeing like what the this character there's also was. a there's also a book that came out of this, um, the Odyssey File, about the making of this movie, and it's all of the um, correspondence between Arthur C. Clarke and Peter Himes. And oh wow! And interestingly, to show you how much they cared about the subject matter, it's all email correspondence. Which in 1980, I mean, 80s. This came out in 84, so 1983 is right. not a normal thing. <laughs> No. Email correspondence in the early 80s. 1980. Yeah, it had, you got to figure 82, 83 is when they were going back yeah. and forth. Oh yeah. my gosh. I mean, that's crazy. Like, I had dial up in the early 90s, like, and I thought that was pretty ahead of its time. That's that's mind blowing. They were, yeah, they, like, they I followed their own rules for the first movie. Yeah. I mean, I think the first email address I had would have been like the college gave it to me when I would have been, I guess, 91 ish. Yeah, I okay. mean, that's yeah. what I was using. Like, that's crazy that in eighty early 80s that they would have had that. But they did. But, yeah, so, like, so I think Kubrick was just like, yeah, whatever. And I think he probably liked the fact that he had destroyed all the sets, so he didn't have to worry about that. <laughs> yeah. um, he's like, you have yeah, my blessing but, to do this, but I'm not going to help you. But he's, I, like, his, own, well, he's, he's like, his own monolith. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I found it fascinating, though, that, like, not that that Hyam should have came in and impersonated Kubrick, but at the same time, the original film has such a unique tone, yeah. and they make absolutely no attempt to replicate that. The, tone. This feels like Aliens. 
This feels like Cameron. Yeah, but hold on now. If he came in and tried to impersonate a- abs- Kubrick, I guess that's that. the only thing someone yeah. would have said was this is a cheap Kubrick imitation. So I- to his, you know, to be fair, he made it his own. But what it does lack, you're right. It's not that the solution would have been to imitate Kubrick. Right. It's like, don't make this movie unless you got Kubrick. Because the most telling scene is when they go through that hallway yeah. and it's the exact same shot or they're trying to do the exact same shot and angle uh, when he's following David. And if you compare those shots side by side, it's crazy how like the symmetry and the beautiful slow camera movement of Kubrick is going down that hallway. And then Hyams puts the camera down low and it's off center. And it's just like following a David that looks like he's just walking normally. And oh my God, the two shots couldn't be more different for being in the same location. Going back to Butch and Sundance, (laughs) the early years slash days depending on if you believe the film or the dvd (laughs) um uh you know it's similar to the the shot where you get the horses oh oh sure jumping out of the railroad car and in the first one i mean it's just powerful and 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 exhilarating and in the second one it's just a bunch of horses going like (laughs) (laughs) but it's like this, that's what this is doing. Yeah, this one looks, you know, we in we've had a I when you're watching this in 2020, you've had enough experience to see other movies and this looks like aliens. Like down yeah, to the down to like, the ship and the like the the bridge and all that stuff like it just, it looks like Cameron's aliens, not Ridley Scott's because those are two well, di- different looking to- movies. We've talked about this time period, too, because of talking about, I think, the Butch and Sundance sequel. And uh, we've talked about movies in the late 70s, early 80s all had the same aesthetic to them. Yeah. Like, you can tell a movie uh, because of the film and the cameras they used. Like, there was a very specific look to the movies. And so, yeah, this looks like other movies made in the time period. And it's not a bad-looking movie. No, not at all. I think it's a very good-looking movie. Hyams actually has some really good shots in it, uh, especially the space stuff. Like a lot of that looked really good, um, but it's just when you compare it again, it's like when we we said uh, Butch and Sundance Two is decent on its own, but you're comparing it to uh, two of the greatest actors of all time here on its own. Like, yeah, there's some good shots and it's a, a thrilling movie and it's interesting. And um, but yeah, we're comparing it to a movie we just watched, which is a masterpiece. So what are you going to do? <laughs> you're going to yeah, do your absolutely. best. That's what you're going to do. Yeah. Well, I guess let's uh, dig into the to the movie itself. So this one opens up with uh, Floyd Haywood, who was the the main character that we followed in the 1999 piece from the previous movie. Um, we thought he Floyd. was going to be the main character. Yeah, well, he is now. <laughs> he's in this one, <laughs> and it's and it's Haywood Floyd. Not oh, Floyd. Hey, I'm sorry, Haywood Floyd. That's okay. He is it, what we're led to believe is the Discovery, the ship that was in question in the first movie, uh, disappeared, and they couldn't find it. They assumed the crew the crew was dead, and they blamed it all on um, Floyd. They it was his Flo- plan, so he was the fall. Floyd, guy Floyd for took it. the fall for everything. He gets get kicked out of not NASA. Um, and becomes like a teacher, which I can't really figure out if he's a teacher. Why is he up on these satellite dishes? Like if he's just a teacher, how does he have access to all of this stuff? I don't know what he's doing. You know, like, it's just like, like, Hey, "Eh, this looks cool. That's it. Again, back to mystery (laughs) mystery science theaters. Like, let's just throw some science stuff around. And well, Joe, this is what, this is the far off year of 2010. (laughs) You're right. What was I thinking? Come on. Little did they know that, uh, you know, I do love it when we catch up. 
But and and remember, this movie opens with that. Uh, I guess you could say exposition dump. Uh, yeah, the whole that's true, yeah. the whole opening of this movie is like, let's give you shots of the discovery, like still photos from the first movie, and they are basically laying out that this is what the new mission is going to be, the mission we're going to see in this movie. But then it like starts answering questions from the first one, like <laughs> questions that you Where didn't ask you? and didn't know you needed the answer to. Uh, so it's like starts saying that I think it says like the monolith is two kilometers wide, and that how went crazy and uh that uh david is missing presumed dead and you know they just start answering and like filling you in that way uh, under the guise of a mission report right yeah and i think that's i I honestly feel like that's less of a of a filmmaker's choice and more of a filmmaker's necessity back then like it was a lot harder to see a film yeah and so i think they're i think that's really just a courtesy of them trying to be like Hey, just FYI, here's what happened in the last movie that you maybe need to be refreshed on. So, like, I I don't disagree that it's a bit of of a lazy recap, but I also feel like back then you couldn't necessarily expect the film goer to have just seen the original recently. It was it was difficult. It was just becoming possible for pe- for people to to see movies kind of at will you know yeah yeah i think it's a fine way i think again like the mission report is a fine way to do it it is an exposition dump but i just found it interesting that they actually gave you information you didn't know before necessarily like names of things and numbers behind things i'm like oh okay they're just going ahead and just filling this in (laughs) yeah and just and, and the the place that uh floyd is work that we see at the beginning is is a uh, an observatory in Puerto Rico with the world's largest radio telescope. But if he's just a teacher, hmm. why is he there? Well, I I mean I think that like stuff like that is probably was probably kind of only available like through colleges oh, and universities. Oh, okay, that makes sense. And so um but I'm I'm not 100%, but yeah, it's supposed to be um it's it says that it was um uh that it's supposed to be the Arecibo, I think I'm saying that right, observatory in Puerto Rico, the world's largest radio telescope, and that it's not mentioned by the name by name in the novel, but it's strongly implied that that's where it is. They went there to film and they said it was dirty and gross. <laughs> and so instead, they went to uh the something called the Very Large Array. That's literally what it's called, the VLA, the Very Large Array in New Mexico. Okay. So he's up on this thing, and he's all of a sudden he's interrupted by uh, this Russian dude, and he kind of lays out. They have a go between, you know, their swinging contest between the two of them, and finally the Russians like, "Look, we're going. Like, we're going to Jupiter. We're gonna get this information. We need you with us. Like, you were the you were the lead on this. Like, we need your information." Well, they need each other is right. the main point. And I, I really no, this like this really back good. and I forth. Like this I, like the, I, I like this I like this is too. this is the yeah, great like this is this is the brilliant yeah, character that is, I think is one of the greatest characters of, of film. And they start off with the Russian is yelling up at him in the tower and he's like, Hey, this is bad for my <laughs> asthma. Like, can you come meet me halfway? And they start walking towards each other. Like, I don't know. I really like the back and forth. And I also like that the Russians like, Yeah, we're gonna get a back up to the discovery before the Americans can even finish planning it. But there, he's also like, once we get there, can we uh, operate Hal and find out what happened? And he's like, Nope. And so he's like, Okay, well, we can get there, and you want to get the data, so let's right. work together. And I thought it was a really smart way to set up. Yeah, we can get there, but don't know what to do once we're there. And you know what to do, but you can't right. get there. So <laughs> yeah. I do. I do like where they're you know, both what, like, Man, how do we sell this? 
And the Russians like, yeah. oh, well, it's, I'll just go back to the Kremlin and say, oh, the poor Americans, they need our help. It's also funny that in the first one, we talked about how, like, they used they used Pan Am. Yeah. Right? Because you couldn't imagine Pan Am going out of business. <laughs> and in this one, they used the Soviet Union for the same <laughs> reasons. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and then, of course, um, Floyd says, well, I'll do the same thing. And, you know, I'll, we'll try to sell it. So then we... We cut to um, Floyd in front of the White House talking to the guy that took his job. They took our jobs, and um, <laughs> and the, even the, even this guy's like, "Man, I how do you what you want me to sell this? You want you want us, the Americans, to work with the? You're out of your mind. This is never." And I do like how they never say who's president. Sure, but if you look at when they when the gal in the hospital when we when. Spoilers, when Dave, uh, well, a version of Dave comes back, when the gals in the, the nurse at the hospital throws down the magazine, one of, it's it's Kubrick. Yeah. Like, Kubrick is playing the president. And the other, so it's the two world leaders. You get the president of of the United States, and then you get the, the whatever the guy in charge <laughs> or Soviet Union was called. and uh, The Tsar or something? Uh, no, that was Russia. But um, was it Prime <laughs> oh. Minister? I don't remember. But anyway, but one's Kubrick, the other one is Arthur C. Clarke. I like yes. that. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. yeah, that was a nice little nod. So f- I guess the the president agrees, and they're going to send um, Floyd, and then there John Lithgow and uh, Bob Balaban. John Lithgow, who is currently building the Discovery Two. So he's the guy who would know how to get into the Discovery One. He knows the schematics in and out. Well, he also programmed Hal, right? No, that was Bob Balaban. Bob Balaban's the creator of Hal. He's the the Chandra guy I was talking about in the first one that right, Hal right. references, um, but under a different name. Uh, I love <laughs> this cast in yeah. that if this movie was made today, like it would be like Rebecca, all- Rebecca Ferguson, Ryan Reynolds, and Jake Gyllenhaal. Right, it would be all these super buff, beautiful people, and instead <laughs> right. we get Roy Scheider, Bob Balaban, <laughs> Jonathan Lithgow. Like, I absolutely love that. There's a dude on Instagram who will constantly post, uh, like, movies that almost happened. Yeah. And he, John Lithgow, there was it was a Joe Dante Batman movie, and it was going to be, John Lithgow was going to be the Joker. Like, that's, I could he totally was in see talks that. to being the Joker. And I was like, yeah. Yeah. Let's do that. Like, why yeah. did that not happen? That would have been that's on the level of, you know, the Tim Burton Bat Superman movie. Like, that sounds insane. But that sounds. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, those are the those are the three. And they're going to go up with the Russians um, and go meet up with Russian Helen Mirren. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Helen Mirren. She's a chameleon. <laughs> and I'm also like, she also has like Benjamin Button disease because like. Right. Right, like she looks better. Like, still looks amazing. But she looks better now, I think, than she looked back then. How well, is that possible? She had that weird Russian haircut. Like, I think they oh, were. That's true. Like, I the, think they the were playing moment. her. I think they were playing her down. And also, oh, like, were. there was kind of this motif in in movies at this time in pop culture in general that Russian women were ugly and masculine, and, oh, and especially because like. There was a lot of like doping scandals in the Olympics, and so like I don't know if that was a deliberate choice, but I but I would definitely agree that like they definitely played her down. But I almost wonder too if it was their way of kind of sending a a signal that like this movie's not going to have a romantic subplot. Like don't go looking for that sort of stuff from this film 
You know God, I mean? you like, know that's that's right. I you know, I didn't even think about it, but that is refreshing because how many times do they try to force that? And it's like that's not what we're doing here. They kind right. of no, hint around it with both of the women on this, like space station, but it never goes anywhere. Like there's other women on this. Space yeah, there's there's, a, there's the one, one woman that jumps into his like pod when they're gonna try to deploy. Oh, right. You know, like there's right. a and there's a moment where he's comforting her. Yeah. and like it it seems like maybe it could go that direction, but then it never does. Yeah, and do we ever see her again? Because I forgot she exists. She's around. <laughs> like I just they never focus on her who, for the rest of the movie. Like the, I completely forgot. Who was the gal in the first Alien movie who gets sprayed with the blood when the alien pops out of that guy's chest? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, I don't remember. But like, yeah, you don't, don't see her ever. That. And then all of a sudden yeah. she's getting, <laughs> and then she gets sprayed with blood and guts and like muck. And that's, that's the end of that <laughs> character. You never see that character again. Um, Joe, did you recognize the Russian guy, the Max? Absolutely. I did. Spider-Man three. Yeah. Yeah. He's the landlord. He's the landlord. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who always when plays I saw a Russian. Him, Is he Russian? Yeah. When I, he's also oh. uh, a reoccurring character on St. Elsewhere. He's one of the doctors that like has a straight line of dialogue every once in a while that they just keep bringing back so it looks like oh. they have the same people. That's hilarious. On the show <laughs> in the hospital. Yeah, but yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah. So they, he has to tell his family. Um, and this is. And his dolphins. And his dolphins. was so weird. <laughs> like his house has like a hole cut in the bottom where dolphins just kind of come in and hang out where his kid feeds him. Feeds these dolphins. He just has he has like he has like a holiday and swimming pool <laughs> indoor does, that's swimming exactly pool right. at his living room, but with dolphins. <laughs> and I guess when his wife says that like she's like a marine biologist, I was like, okay, whatever. It's two thousand one, like they don't know. Like they don't know what you know. But how you know, how in twenty ten did we miss dolphin swimming pools in your house? <laughs> like of all the things that came true. We have Come stingray on, pods. What more do you want? Um so yeah, so we, this does I have the names of the dolphins if you would like. Yeah. No, uh, no, no, I do. You don't want to know? <laughs> I would like. <laughs> no. Okay, well, I'm going to okay. go with Joe. Uh, <laughs> Captain Crunch and Leilani. I love it. Captain Crunch. Yeah. Character names or dolphin or actor names? Those are, I believe, those are the dolphins' actual names. <laughs> okay. But, oh, they were playing themselves, or what were their character <laughs> were names? Themselves. I don't think that they were assigned characters. Sadly, they were Dolphin One and Dolphin Two. <laughs> oh, um, see, I was really looking for the backstory and the motivation. <laughs> like, they're like, "Where, where is our master?" And they like go on a mission, and oh, and they had to build that. Flipper. It was constructed at the saucer tank in Culver City. <laughs> like, like that wasn't like something that already existed. And they were like, "That'd be a cool thing to film." They were that was a choice. They were like, "What if this dude had pet dolphins?" <laughs> St- Stanley, Stanley. Kubrick's like, I'm going to invent FaceTime. I'm going to invent uh, um, like uh, casual trips to the moon. This dude is like, okay, hear me out here. Pet dolphins in your living room. Everybody's Pet like, dolphins. yeah, man, he did Outland. Like, the, that's, that sounds perfect. The, f- <laughs> the future is here. Yeah, this is outlandish. Oh, yeah, right. So, like, but there was one moment where, like, the, the, they're filming these dolphins from, like, underneath. And I was like, oh, man, they look, do they do, they have fake dolphins? Yes. All right. I feel like you just buy some stock photo of dolphins swimming in the ocean, but no, they're all real. Were you trying to look up the dolphin skirts, Joe? I mean, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So she's pissed. Like his wife is pissed that he's going on this mission because the first one didn't come back. The Discovery one didn't come back. Do you think she drops the wine glass in the sink as an homage to the end of the first movie? Yes, I do. I, it's pretty, that's very deliberate. Yeah, I mean, it's just to see a wine dra- glass drop, like that's not something you see all the time and so close to the ending of the first movie. Like, right. I don't know. I'm like, that has to be intentional. Yeah, I think it was absolutely intentional. And she's not happy about the whole situation. The kid, the kid, I like the kid where he's like, where are you going? He's like, oh, wait, he's like, cool. <laughs> I'm going to eat the spaghetti. 
<laughs> so they, you know, they have a discussion, and the, and he's, I mean, I I interpreted it as he's like, this is the lat, like, this has been on my mind the entire time. I have to finish this. You know what's interesting? He had a daughter in the first movie. She he I, says that he well she he says later that his first wife died, and they had oh. an older daughter. Like mm-hmm. he had like a seventeen year old okay. daughter, and then he got remarried to this gal and had a son. Gotcha. Because this yeah. is nine years later, so I was just thinking the girl wouldn't be that old, but that makes sense if she's like seventeen and out yeah. of the house yeah, or whatever. He does. Okay. He does. That I will give this movie credit. Like Tom said, is like they're not trying to backdoor information. They're just kind of building off the information that we already had. I think it helps that you had Arthur C. Clarke wrote this book uh, as a sequel to his book on the first one, and this is yeah. being adapted from it. I think. I think really the the author working on the screenplays is a huge help whenever you're adapting anything because you know you're not making Hollywood choices like oh let's just do this because it's more Hollywood like clearly this guy uh, the director had uh, an affinity for the first one he regarded it like most other filmmakers as one of the greatest sci-fi movies of all time he wanted to do right by it and he worked with Clark to fine tune it so that's why I think the movie is is pretty solid and it doesn't feel forced it doesn't feel like let's do a cash grab sequel like they were trying to to make a legit movie here yeah i concur well we don't want stephen king working on anything (laughs) just let somebody else do that yeah so yeah so they they get together they get they uh take off the russians actually have to wake um floyd up first because they need his expertise like this is a collaborative effort um and they do they get to jupiter and they have to like well, they have they're, to do space breaks. What is that? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, right. right they, with the balloons. they can't slow down, so they have to. Right. And nobody yeah. wants them there. Like, none of the Russians want Floyd and his team there. I will sure. say, there was the weird scene with, I thought, you know, going back to Aliens, where Bob Balaban is talking to Sal, the Sal 9000, mm-hmm. and yeah. explaining things. And I was, right. Uh, voiced by Scarlett Johansson. Um, <laughs> it's Candace Bergen, actually. Is it really? Yeah. That's Okay, that makes sense. Um, where I thought that he was going to be kind of like the Paul Rudd, Paul Rudd, Paul Reiser. You, you thought he was kind of like sabotage a, the whole thing. Yeah, I could definitely see that, especially with how tricky Hal was in the first one. The fact that this guy programmed Hal and he maybe has a hidden agenda. Like, to, yeah, I can and even I could, Lithgow even says he's like, he is Hal. Yeah. Like Lithgow has a moment where I, he was like, no, it's this guy. He is the computer. So it's like. I was like, oh, well, he's going to ruin everything. <laughs> like that, that is what that is what's going to happen. It's cool they didn't go that route, though. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, that would have been the lazy, easy way to go. It really would have been. What year was Aliens? 86? Oh. 86, 87? Okay. So we're around the same time. Like, it's... it's 86. It's, okay. Two years later. Yeah. They probably um, made him go this direction because of this movie. <laughs> That's kind of what I was. I mean, maybe they were like, you know, we like, did it that way. <laughs> Nobody went to see it. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, uh, so, yeah. So they wake up and um, this is where they had to throw on the space brakes because they're going too fast. Like they're going too fast and they can't. They need to reserve enough fuel for the return trip back to Earth. So they uh, disengage these balloons and it's as big. This is where I, I jokingly said you can hear the flames crackle in space. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and I don't do flames work in space? 
No, there's no oxygen. That's what I'm saying. Like, well, there's. I mean, I guess when I was you have an explosion. Oxygen. When I was but. watching Armageddon, that was the big point of contention that Katie and I were watching. That and it's like there's a lot of explosions going on in space here. <laughs> <laughs> you could get like explosion in contained area, but not like a flaming balloon doesn't work in space. Like in the oxygen areas. Yeah. Like yeah, airship, exactly. of course. Yeah. Right. Um, and this is the scene we were talking about where they kind of make. Floyd go back to his pod because he can't do anything and the like Russian pilot I guess comes down and they huddle close together because this is an intense situation like they don't know they they know it'll work but it's still pretty dicey um so they it works they wake up Bob Balaban and John Lithgow um and then they start to go to work on because they they can see the discovery they've got the discovery in front of them and they have to figure out how to get a to get there, which I thought was I love uh, any time um, the landlord from Spider-Man three and John Lithgow are together. Yeah, you know, it's what? really good. I like, you know what I was thinking? I was thinking they had really good chemistry. I they did. I was surprised because I thought it was going to be the stereotypical, like, you know, Russians versus American and, and it's just going to be cheesy and not, but like those two, the way they grow like together, uh, as they, you know, fight and, and whatever, like, I really liked the relationship. Yeah, it's teaching him Russian words and things like that. Yeah, it was fun. Like, like you saw the character development. You saw that relationship grow as, like you said, he's like, what's the word for this? And then they use it wrong. And then he uses the other word, like pie and piece of cake and all that. And and they have those nice moments later where they do callbacks. And yeah, like I, I you saw that relationship as short-lived as it was. You saw it grow. And then you actually cared when right. something happened to Max. When, yes. So uh, they get into the do they get into the ship and then they start like figuring out, you know, oh, that's right. They get into the ship and um, the landlord from Spider-Man three takes his helmet off and um, he can breathe like there's oxygen. The it sounds like the life support is working, but then he freaks out because he smells like this putrid um, rotting meat. And of course, I believe, everybody's- I believe he says that's some bad smell, Harry. Yeah, that's yeah, probably. Uh, so they they immediately think they're like, look, the day or not day. Frank is gone. The they I assume the people are in their pods that are airtight. So that's not it. So they just figure that it's it's Dave. Like somewhere in the ship, it's Dave. Right. They don't know what happened. He's presumed dead, and so he starts freaking out. And there's the dead body in there. Right. But would and, it still uh, smell? I mean, it's been nine years. It's like, gonna have a funk. Would it? I would think at some point that would dissipate. Well, if it's sealed in well, there. Contained, yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of circulation venting yeah, going on. I guess on. I just I feel mean, like it's still been nine years. Like, that eventually is going to break down and nothing well, lasts that's forever. Had, they probably had a lot of food, too, though. I mean, I'm not saying Well, that's ton, what it was. It was but, spoiled food. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Which like, we'll find out later. Yeah. So I get what you're saying. Like, I don't think he was thinking logically, yeah. but they're also, like, freaked out in a small space creepy area right, right oh right, i also right, just right. want to interject real quick helen mirren's character is named tanya kerbuck which is kubrick backwards wow slick oh look at that well done. So, you're welcome <laughs> if you could see tom he's got his hand um <laughs> placed on his drink and it was like just the very you're welcome you're welcome <laughs> self-satisfied uh, smirk Right. Uh, so, yeah, so they start to work on the discovery and they're trying to put things back together. Uh, Bob Balaban is going to work on Hal and he's trying to like recalibrate uh, to get him back up and running. 
And he pulls a little bit of a stunt that I thought was a little shady where he deletes uh, everything that happened like in the last of Hal's last of Hal's life, like the last three hours. You're saying like he roofied him? Basically. (laughs) Well, he doesn't remember killing anybody. He doesn't remember. Don't you think that's good, though? Or why why don't you like it? Well, I just I think when you start uh, in, it makes sense. Yes. But. The fact that Bob Ballab, that that character, I'm not going to keep saying his name because it's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> Chander, can, what's wrong with what's wrong with Chander? That's way easier than Bob Balaban. Um, <laughs> it's just fun to say Bob Balaban. It is. It is kind of yes. Um, where he has that much control, where he can chain, you know, just delete things or add things and make Hal think certain things. He to programmed me, I was like, him. He's the programmer. I mean, I mean that's that's my point though. Is like that led to my thought that I was like, this guy's going to blow the whole mission because he yeah. doesn't want to kill Hal. Gotcha. Again. But I, I think it's good. Like they know what happened. They really, he really doesn't want Hal doing anything. Like if that may, if that may sway him, having that memory of what he did, you know, because remember he was still with David trying to sneakily get out of it. Like, oh, I'm right, better right, now. Right. I would never. So I think he just wanted to make sure that that didn't influence the current mission. And, you know, since he's the programmer, I don't know if he added a fail safe. Like he's knows about like for nine years, he's been perfecting the Hal system, the Sal system. And, you know, he's able to maybe put in some fail safes there that will stop it. I mean, I know I'm making this up, but I'm thinking as a programmer. No, I think it, I think it, it all makes sense to me. Yeah, he's a programmer and he invented it, so I'm sure he was able to manipulate things to like maybe put a failsafe in there, and that data is probably best to be deleted. <laughs> well, there was a failsafe from Floyd. You know, like Floyd. Floyd has this little like wire cutter, I guess, that mm-hmm. he tells Lithgow to install, and he's like, "If this thing goes bad, I'm going to push in this weird equation, and we're going to end this yeah. crap right now." <laughs> right we are yep. not gonna play this game again like there's a reason he he's malfunctioned been, the first time yeah he's been thinking about this for nine years right so. exactly this is definitely more dialogue heavy but there are still a lot of uh characters pushing buttons like that's <laughs> yeah. that that's a lot of this movie um so they they have the the monolith in front of them and this is the first time we see it where it's just this massive structure and i say structure but just this massive thing um and while all of this is going on, and they're trying to figure out what's going on inside the monolith. Uh, is this where we lose the landlord? He what is he doing? He's he, outside, and there's like that burst of light. Oh, that's right. Yep, it does. There's a, there's all of a sudden the monolith sends out like this, like a signal shock I guess, or, or something. something. Yeah, and it and it just like knocks him flying off, kind of like uh, the guy in the first Frank in the first one. It's a similar, you know. I think it's probably an homage to that, where he's just flying off through space. Yeah. Um, while all of this is going on, the relationship between the Soviet Union and the United States has fallen apart. So we are in the middle of a we're about to go to war with the Soviet Union uh, and they have to split up the ship. So the they're getting two different messages. One so from they, the so guy they that paint, took- they paint a line down the ship. <laughs> no, you stay on your side. I'll stay <laughs> like on my on, side. <laughs> like on an old wacky sitcom. That's right. That's right. <laughs> But they say so they say that somehow the discovery has enough uh, resources and fuel to get them back like they're they're like the Americans need to go stay on the discovery. You're going to use that to get home. And then the Russians, their ships called the Leonov and they're going to be on that one and they're going to split up. And I'm glad that the movie went the direction it did, though. I was like, oh, my God, now the Russians are going to arrest the Americans.
organs and they're going to throw them in a jail cell. You know what I mean? Like I thought there was going to be the whole like, and then they're going to have to be like, let me out. You know, only I can right, save right, you. And right. I'm just glad that they never went to the like, let's all f- like literally fight now. They, the they kind of just separate. Yeah. This, yeah. this felt like the most logical thing that they would do though. Right. Like, yeah, you're, you've been on this, this ship with these people, you've developed relationships. Helen Mirren is now the captain of this ship. Uh, because the landlord dude got blown into space. Was um, the landlord the captain? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um. So Helen Mirren takes over, and they, as they're all standing there, like that, you know, they realize that they're a team. Like, sure, we're yeah, I'm from the USSR or the USSR. Well, I guess that's what it was in '84. Is that still around? Yeah, yeah. Um, and. We're but we're working this thing together, and then the Russian government says, "No, you go on your side, the U.S. You go on your side," and they do it for a minute, and then Roy Shire's just like, "This is dumb. Why are you doing like no? I'm coming over there. We're gonna get this thing fixed." The they realize that, oh, this is where Roy, this is where Floyd meets Dave. Like this, all ver- right, Dave. Dave, Dave just Dave shows, shows up. back. So we get the first idea of Dave. He goes to see his wife on Earth like he interrupts the news broadcasts and kind of just says he's like, I love you. And, you know, or Dave loved you. He's talking in the third person. Well, um, I like this because he's like basically he's like, yeah, I am. You know, I used to be Dave. I'm something else now. He's swamp and, thing. Yeah. <laughs> Coming to the CW. Thank God. Um, so. Yeah. So this is the then we see Dave again on the ship where Roy Scheider or Floyd um, sees is it old? Is it Dave in the red suit or is it Dave and old man Dave? It's the red suit, the orange suit or whatever, because he follows him through the hallway and it's the same shot as the first one. But again, right, right, right. It's uh, you know, it's like you really start missing Kubrick because the shots just don't have the same weight to them. But he follows him through, and then much like the end of the first one, Dave is still this entity that we don't know how he functions or how he lives. But when he walks the hallway, he turns the corner and then he becomes old Dave. And then I think he it cuts back to Scheider and then he cuts to Dave and he's the super old uh, David again. So like right. he's simultaneously existing in, in all these time periods at the same time as how humans interpret time. So I have, a, really, I, have you know, a, I have a question to that. Yeah. To that point. So there's a scene where where like in this, one of, like, in this one of the first one in this one. Okay. There's this scene where yeah. Bowman like goes to the the hospital is like a mm-hmm. ball of light. It's been a couple weeks since I've seen. The yeah, movie. yeah, yeah. He goes to see his mom and with the brush. Yeah, and, and who's he seeing? His mom. Oh, that's his mother. Okay, yeah. I missed that. That it was his mother. I thought it was supposed to be his wife, and I was like, "It's been nine years. Why is she so old?" So his wife is. Oh the, no, the, she's on the TV. His wife is the whatever. gal that he talks right. to right. through the TV, and then okay. yeah. he goes to see his mom, which was a. I, I got to tell you, a super creepy moment. Where she's catatonic, like the doctors are like, yeah, man, she's going to die. We're just going to keep her comfortable as best we can. And then all of a sudden you see her spring up like on the monitor and she just, I didn't know. I thought, I didn't know what she was doing. It looked like something out of Exorcist. (laughs) Yeah, it really did. (laughs) But I guess the, like she was at peace. She, she finally found and got some closure. Her son visited her and, and I don't know if, if it was like her just passing away or like if he did something to let her finally yeah. go to rest but but it didn't yeah. feel I don't, I don't remember i felt like it was a lady and old lady makeup like it didn't uh, it was a very it was yeah i think you're probably right 
And so I was like, I thought they were taking an original actress and trying to age her up for some reason. So I, that's where I was. Oh, I didn't. Keep, oh, maybe. But either way, know. it was supposed to be his mom. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Real quick before we move on. This is this is uh, something that like they only do for narrative purposes to try and stop people, the viewer from being confused. But if he exists at all points in time, why is he telling these people? these things at the moment in time that <laughs> we're following the story right that's a like, very good point like he could show up at any point in his wife's life you know and he could show up when she's 65 years old oh and so it's the okay same. I'm, okay i'm glad you said that the way i thought of it was the much like the first movie right where every time they get to another monolith like that is the catalyst for an evolution it's like a save point. Exactly. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. I feel like this, the second ship getting to this monolith was the next step. Sure. Like awakened him and kind that, of. And that, yeah. and that woke up whatever Dave has become at this point. I took it as they let him because I thought he said something like, you know, I'm, I can only say this once or I'm going to be gone after this or whatever. Uh, you know, whatever this entity was, I mean, he was clearly being observed. Like he's in that static white room and he's aging and he doesn't, he can't escape from it. Like he's just living in that one room. And so I took it as they allowed him to like go and, and talk with them. So like, I think like Joe said, because of what was happening, he was able to go at that point in time. And I think he, uh, interprets time differently like he exists at all points of time simultaneously but i'm not necessarily thinking that like he can just pop between their time you know like i, I again the rules are not clear but uh, i do think it has to do with them getting back to that monolith right that's the way i interpreted it uh so dave i think we should all i think we should also talk about that there are there are two things that he keeps that we keep hearing from Dave throughout this movie, is it, which the first is is the uh, the line, um, "Oh my God, it's full of stars." Yeah. Which that's the one that we didn't see in the first right. movie, right? He does not say that in the first movie. That's but it, part of the exposition dump. That's what I'm saying. Like they kept saying, like, "Oh," because they and the dump in the beginning they're like, right. "Final words, final contact." He said this, and then they showed him saying it, and I'm like. But we didn't even see that in the first one. <laughs> so, and I th and I think that's why I kind of say that this is more of a sequel to the book than the movie because mm -hmm. that the, oh my god, it's full of stars is in the book, uh, but okay. it's not. But it, but it's not in the film. And I don't know if it got cut from the script or if it got recorded and then just not utilized. Like he just didn't feel that he needed something said. But um, but yeah. So we keep hearing that like as he goes through the monolith tunnel. Oh my god, it's full of stars. Kind of implying that there's whole universes inside of this thing and then um uh and then whenever he's trying to explain what's going to happen like he's almost coming back as a as a messenger to, to war to say to say like he's something big's gonna happen whenever anybody asks him what it is he always just kind of cryptically says something something wonderful, wonderful. yeah uh so this is also does this guy not age the actor himself he looks ex he, <laughs> the actor looks exactly like he did. Like these movies have some time between them. I was just impressed that it's I mean, only he looks been, the exact it's same. It's only been nine years. 
And he's an actor. <laughs> no, not in real life. I'm kidding. No, not, <laughs> not in real life. I'm kidding, Kevin. <laughs> oh, okay, gotcha. Because I'm like, but that's what I mean. The actor, yeah. like, he hasn't aged. I'm like, how? Yes. I get aging people up, but this is the reverse. This dude This dude looks like Fassbender in Prometheus. I was going to say, that's. I think that's why they cast yeah. Fassbender. And his, his name, name is David, is David yeah. in Prometheus. Clearly, that is an homage to Big this time. movie because they look the same, they have the same name, and they carry themselves. Uh, you know, David as a robot carries himself similar to this new entity of Dave. So yeah, there's, and I love. I thought as soon as as soon as he came on screen, I was like, oh man, if they ever remake this, that's Fassbender. Like that's who yeah. that is. Yeah. Well, when that movie came out, I thought that he looked like Dave from Space Odyssey. Like I drew that connection. But I will say, like I'm a Prometheus defender. I know some people do not like that movie. I love Prometheus. But- if you take it. Out of the alien universe and just let it be its own thing. I enjoy that movie. Well, there you go, Dunk. You yeah. can watch. It stands on its yeah, own. Yeah, I and, agree. And uh, I think Fastbender is the best part, though. I absolutely love that character, Dave David in Prometheus. I think he's great. How great would it be if they brought him back into the MCU? As oh my gosh! <laughs> like, sign me up. He was fan- he elevated those movies without question, without question. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So Schneider jumps off the America he's like he tells the he tells Helen Muir he's like I'm coming over whether you I don't care I don't care if I get court martial I don't care I'm coming over <laughs> so they figure out that we got to get out of here we got two days to get out of here because something bad is going to happen I don't know what it is creepy ghost in the box over here won't tell me what's going on but he's a ghost in the box I'm going to trust him yeah. uh, so they figure out that if we use the discovery if we thrust it if we tie oh. our two ships together We'll use the discovery to get us moving, and then well, that's we'll... that's the problem. I forgot though. So like they had enough fuel in both ships to get them back, but the catch is the Earth had to be in the right rotation, right. and right. so they didn't have enough fuel to go around and whatever to to reach Earth because of all the other planets and blah blah blah, whatever science stuff. So that is where they have to do the slingshot, correct? Kind of thing. So they figure out that okay, we'll use the the remaining fuel from the discovery to get us going and then we will use your fuel for the russian ship to take us the rest of the way and we'll get there in time we'll be okay um and helen Mirren's like you're out of your mind there's no way and then all of a sudden the american like consult starts chirping in he's like hey can you go check out this weird black dot we keep seeing on jupiter uh and finally they do and they realize it's almost a black hole that is right. sucking Jupiter into this black hole, and we find out that it's millions of monoliths. Like these, oh my gosh, yeah, they're all over. And that's what I was mentioning in the first movie review that we did, where you know we come to learn in this one that there's all these monoliths. So you, it begs to reason that the one that they found on Earth that led them to the moon and all the other stuff, like that was one of many that they've probably, whoever they is or they are, they've been planting these all over the galaxy. And so the beacon is like to lead these different races to Jupiter where this main hub is. I mean, that's how I take it. Yes, that is exactly how you should take it. Uh, (laughs) And it's (laughs) so now we're on a time crunch. Like we got to get, we got to get out of here. Um, race against the clock race against the clock and finally when they get everything set up they realize they have to trick hal into igniting the 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 engines and bob well we know how we know how hal is with missions (laughs) right yeah and bob balaban's like yeah it's not gonna work and schneider's like well they also explained to us why hal malfunctioned yes and it turns out that it was like he kind of he blames 
uh, Floyd. And Floyd's like, I didn't do anything. Like, I just he's like, nope, it was your fault. And then we find out that there was an underlying mission that nobody was told about except for Hal. So when Dave and Frank try to, like, go around the mission, Hal did what he had to do to protect Hal doesn't have. Hell doesn't have the capability to lie, and so like when he had to do both, it like basically caused him to melt down. Yeah, and he he had a psychotic break almost. Before I watched this movie, I mean that's exactly how I figured it. It's not like how was an evil maniacal robot that was just trying to kill humanity. Like I saw it as how was the only one programmed with this mission, as we learn at the end of the movie, and he had to make a choice. Like humanity, if it gets in the way of the mission, he has to do whatever it takes to complete that mission. Right. And that's what he did. So they have to somehow get Bob Balaban to trick Hal into thinking this is the mission is fine. We're just doing, you know, and uh, Bob Balaban doesn't want to do it. He kind of has this weird connection to Hal, which is this the only one that is in existence? No, there's other Hal 9000s. Remember? So then why is he attached to this one? There's. 8,999 other <laughs> right? And how that works? Just like there's COVID 1 through yeah. 18? Yeah, yeah. Right, right. I think he, uh, because he programmed Hal, I think anytime he talks to a Hal, I think it's just the entity, the artificial intelligence, like he wouldn't lie to or manipulate any of his, you know, he sees them kind of as children. Yeah, I guess. So. I th- you think he's anthropomorphized it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and finally, Floyd was like, you're going to do it. You're just going to figure it out. I don't know what to tell you. Like, we're getting out of here. I think he makes the right call, though, because eventually Bob Balaban ends up, instead of lying or trying to trick Hal, he tells him, like, straight up. And this time, instead of people trying to lie and manipulate him behind his back, and we saw how that worked out in the first one, he reasons with him. And he's like, you know, this is what's up. Like, we're faced with this, and, you know, we we need to do this. And and Hal starts asking questions, and it comes down to you almost feel bad for him, much like, Joe, you said in the first one. And this one, he's like... Do I dream? <laughs> you know, you're like, oh my god, he's yeah. trying to like, see if he's... No, no, your computer, yeah. stop it. <laughs> but but Bal- no, Balaban's you know. like, I don't know. Well, because he tells Sal earlier, yeah. yes. Well, like yeah. intelligent beings do dream, and I was like, you don't do that. Yeah. Um. Well, they dream of electric sheep. Oh, I see what you did there. If you short circuit, it's because you had a wet dream. <laughs> yeah, <right>. <laughs> <laughs> Sal meet Hal. Yeah, Hal, Sal. Well, yeah, you know, you don't know. Same room. You don't know. <laughs> oh no, that'll that'll make little mouths. I don't know, <laughs> pals. Uh, oh yeah, pals. But little you, pals. Uh, yeah. You don't know that Hal necessarily likes Sal's. That's an assumption on your part. Son of a bitch, yeah, Joe. <laughs> Sorry for assuming a weird, com- you know, computer. See, what you didn't know is in the first movie that Hal nine thousand on Earth that that called Hal nine thousand in space out. They were yeah. having a tiff, and yeah. so. Oh. He a, called a him out, if you will. Yep, he's like, I'm not. He's like, I'm not dealing with your BS anymore. I'm calling you out. I'm I'm outing you to all your friends, and that's he what said happened. no when he killed <laughs> and he killed Frank. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so they take off. Like the, everything's working. Like on, they Hal agrees and he goes along with it. Um, in a very tense moment, like Kevin, this said, is like where, this is like a countdown timer, like on the the dynamite. Like we'll it set really this to, is. We'll yeah. set this to fifty two <laughs> seconds and like, down to the wire. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Jupiter gets destroyed. 
Uh, I thought we were going to lose Bob Balban. I I thought we were too, for sure. He narrowly escapes. He's on this line that connects the two ships, and he's like hanging from it, and somehow like it propelling and the blast, like he's able to hold on, and and, uh, they show the... uh, they show the little, not it looks like a carabiner. It kind of reminds me of like cliffhanger, where you it's think like, carabiner. like yeah, you're yeah, right. you think it's gonna break though, like in some kind of cliffhanger moment. And uh, luckily, it holds on. And you, you know, know, for all everything that's going on in this movie, and as high as the stakes are, there like hardly there's hardly any deaths. The one, yeah, there's one. There's two. Who's the second one? The old lady. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yes, no. there. <laughs> Someone who's yeah. not even yeah. connected. We were, yeah. we we were like, too attached there's, to her. <laughs> there's, there's two deaths, and one of them is from old age. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, what they, I mean, that was really a COVID death, but they don't want you to know All that. All right. Let's not no, start. This is 2010. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> Sorry. It was a SARS death, and they don't there want you go. to know that. Yeah. That was Ebola. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so the and everything works. They get out of there and then all of a sudden there's like a message that scrawls across the scroll scroll. Like it's a crawl where he says, "Look, this is this is for you. This is a long time ago in a galaxy, galaxy far, far far away." away. <laughs> yeah. Uh don't come to this moon. Do not come to this moon. I was like, "Well, there's Space Odyssey 3." Oh, they say Europa, right? Europa, go anywhere but Europa. Do not come here, but everywhere else is free to go. Free free to explore. Um, we get a voiceover from um, Floyd talking to his son. He's like, You'll, you're not going to really remember a time when it was dark. You'll always remember a time with two sons. Oh, they're and on Tatooine now. I, well, I did think that. <laughs> I was like, it's very, it's interesting that as much as like real world science this was steeped in, we end with Earth having two sons. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I was like, wouldn't that just grew up our gravitational orbit? <laughs> that's what well, I was I, thinking too, right? Like it would just muck everything up. Well, that's what I was wondering. See, so like I, that's what I thought of. And I tried to figure out, I don't know enough about um, astronomy and all that to really understand it. But I guess, you know, moons, I know the moon has to do with the gravitational pull and all that. I don't know if a sun would. I mean, then I was like, well, if there's two suns, would it get too hot? But they also work at different times times so i don't know but you know like it's but nighttime we, there's, but, but, but we, our solar system is centered around the sun yeah we revolve around the sun so, so like if I, there's a if second we, sun now what yeah right now you, no, you gotta no believe idea. that second sun just wiped out one of the planets in our solar system so now you, you know got, you need you know, to ask about this no because he's mr no fun no you need to ask uh, young sheldon oh no i really don't <laughs> it's the last only young sheldon knows oh god no um <laughs> Yeah, and that's kind of that's this one wraps up with Earth having two suns now, um, yeah. Which means Superman Superman's double powered, like it's he gets more power. Ooh, like it, uh, yeah. This it's, this is an interesting movie. Like it does, um, do its own thing. Like it expands this world, but it tries to stay faithful to the Kubrick stuff at the same time. Um, I, I'm I'm hesitant to say. I don't know. Like, did 2001... It feels kind of like a really good made-for-TV movie versus the Kubrick film. Yeah, but I guess my feeling is, like, did the did 2001 need a sequel? No. Well, the art, the but, author thought it did. I mean, it's... It, I mean, that's fair. Yeah, that's if fair. If it was Hollywood, I it, I, it'd be different. But this is Arthur yeah. C. Clarke writing a sequel to his book that he wrote, and it had... All of this had the blessing of Kubrick. He's like, I'm not going to be involved, but, you know, you guys do your thing. And he felt like his stood on its own and he 
you know, he wasn't, uh, they were going to have to all make it from scratch and based on their new book and all that. So, you know, I, I don't know. I thought it was interesting. Like I didn't need it, but then having seen it, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I, yeah, I never, I've never seen this movie. I know it came out when it came out when I was, you know, 13, 14 years old. So it was right in my wheelhouse, but I've never seen this movie and, and, uh, I found myself enjoying it way more than I thought it was going to. Like I, I, I agree that it while it feels unnecessary, like I also I, I thought it was a, a nice kind of, I don't know, coda or addendum to the first one, even yeah. though it's not near at that caliber. No, I think I think you're right. I think, um, you know, this guy was really excited to work with Van Damme later and he didn't uh, <laughs> he didn't really care I, how we got there. <laughs> I will say out of all that, I I I, I really um wish the oh my god it's full of stars line had been in the original that would have been a really good way to close that movie yeah like it would have been a nice little like morsel to kind of chew on like i i I get why he didn't use it but i think just having him say that one thing would have been like what does that mean like i think that would have that's a good cliffhanger yeah i think that would have been a cool little thing I think Kubrick just wanted to leave it as ambiguous as possible, and yeah. he didn't even want to give you the thought in your head, like, oh, it's stars or there's galaxies. You know, he really left that open to interpretation. And listening to the interviews that he had done around the time of the film's release, he's like, yeah, I just want, you know, I'm not going to give you the answers. And, uh, you know, there's enough there for you to make up your own opinions about it. And whatever gets you to think about it, it's doing its job. I, I think I also the I think the other reason I like would want it there though is that I really like his line reading on it. Like I think yeah. it's it's uh it he he really captures that sense of of wonder and amazement. Yeah, you know what I mean, and tells you something without actually providing any information that's useful, which is always good. Yeah, I know? like him a lot. I'm not familiar with this actor. How do you say his name? Kier Dulla? I have no idea. And I'm I, like. He's got 87 credits on IMDb, and I really like him in Space Odyssey. I mean, he's okay in this one, but in that first one, he like he. I really like his delivery and, and just the way he carries himself, like you were saying. And I just kept thinking, like, where did this guy go slash come from? <laughs> uh, he's well, not a name that I know. Well, he's in Black Christmas, Joe. Oh, uh, which one? So, the 74 one. Oh, okay. That's and okay. He's, he's also uh, in a... A, a movie from the '60s that has that people don't seem to be aware of for the most part, and it's so good, so so good. Called Bunny Lake is missing. Oh, and and uh, for a while it was rumored they were actually going to do a remake of it with Reese Witherspoon, which would have been great. But um, uh, or at least it's a great premise. But uh, it's about <laughs> a lady who moves moves to England with her with her daughter, who's like like five or six years old. And uh, and then she drops her daughter off for daycare. She goes back to pick her up and her daughter's gone. But nobody has seen her daughter. And so, like, as the movie progresses, like you're you're trying to figure out as to whether or not her daughter ever actually existed. And and uh, and again, Bunny Lake is missing. Cannot recommend that movie highly enough. So and. This this guy is still making movies. He's alive and he has a credit in a 2020 TV series. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, he was born in 1936. Oh and wow! He's still working. Good for him. Good That's for awesome. Him. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I uh, yeah, it's such an inter- fascinating example of of uh, 
of just like sometimes less is more. Like you think you want all these answers and you get them. And even when they're good answers, it just like I think one of the things I liked about the first one is that it it kind of dabbled in this like where does mankind come from? How did we get mm-hmm. here? And it does it in a way that doesn't negate anything you already know, think, or believe. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And and uh and this one, you know, literally blows up a planet <laughs> and right. In spoon feeds you basically like these are our gods now and and uh, and so like it's the other one was more science than fiction and this one is definitely leans more on the fiction part and uh, and and so I I think that's part of you know what I didn't like about it especially then when it shows you know what Europa and like it ends with that shot of like a monolith on that planet like and now we're starting it here right you know right 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 and, well yeah be the half there because is, it destroyed a whole solar system <laughs> yeah and there is a uh, a sequel in novel form called 3001 hmm. which kind of goes on with like what happened what happened there you know wow written by the same written by the same guy yeah, yeah, they're all written by Arthur C. Clarke. Yeah. Okay. Oh wow, well, that's a little bit different. I can I can appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. I and, really I really like that they got David back for this movie, the same actor. I think that was huge. Totally. If, if they would have recast him, I think that would have been a problem. And the fact that they got the guy, he looks the same, he carried himself well. Like, I mean, he really brought something to this movie that if you're going to make a sequel to an iconic film, at least get the main guy that's kind of the focus. You know that that uh, I think it elevated it a bit. Absolutely. Like, I I have no problems with the fact that they recast the Haywood Floyd character. Like, none at all. Yeah. Um, uh, but but um, but if you'd have done this without Dave, it would have been a joke. And yeah. how do you do that without, you know, we were talking about how the director just didn't want to impersonate Kubrick, which I think he probably could have done a little bit mm-hmm. uh, and would have been to his benefit to some, in certain spots. But um, but like. How do you recast that role without having and someone impersonate it? You know, well, right. if you do it, you don't. You get Fassbender. It's Michael Fassbender. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not um, 1984. And, you don't. Not, 80, not, not 84. No, no, no. Um, and just for the record, uh, 3001 is the fourth book in the series. Oh, is there a one what's between? The, what's the third? Oh, book? you're 20... thinking of 2069. <laughs> The year we make contact simultaneously. <laughs> <laughs> 2061, but close. Oh, but uh. So there you but go. Yeah, there you go. And I just a little addendum that I think Joe will find interesting. So uh, uh, Maxim and Walter, the Lithgow and the other guy that whose chemistry you like so much. Oh, yeah. Uh, in the book, they totally do it. Ah, do they really? Well, it says it's implied in the book that the two had a romantic. Uh, well, there you go. See, see, the chemistry but, uh, came out. So. Yeah, it was true. Yeah. Yes. So uh anyway, that's 2010. I like like I said, I I love drilling down on these kind of misbegotten sequels. These are fun. These movies that are like like especially like something like this like it's fun when they're really bad. Like those can be fun too, but it's also interesting when they're like they were this close. Yeah. You know what I mean? They were yeah. like th- like this is not a bad movie. No. No, we've seen bad on, movies. It, this is not yeah, one. Yeah, and and like and, and and the effects I think are pretty solid too. I think like, they're for really the good part. for 84. Yeah. Absolutely. 
I mean, you know, are they at the level of 2001? No, but like it, I was not watching anything in this movie from an effect standpoint and like laughing at it like you do with a lot of older movies. It uh, there's a scene where the Russian and John Lithgow are in space and it's yeah, pretty the, bad. I will say that's that's probably the weakest spot of the movie. I know exactly what you're talking about. And that's the one time yeah. I was just like, eh, this, this part's a little. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was pretty good, though, like you said. But uh, just to note, the entire special effects team is different. So no one returned from the first movie that worked on the practical and special effects. So, you know, you you got a little bit of a different feel to things. I think like Joe mentioned in the first one, there's such a weight that makes it feel lived in, like right. on a real space station and all that. This one where a lot of the space shots looked really good and they were able to recreate things. I think some of the uh, fine detail on the items, like it just didn't come across the same. And I think you lose that from not having the original team. And Kubrick tends to work or tended because he doesn't tend to do <laughs> right. it anymore. Um, he, he, didn't he tend to work with the same people over and over again? I think so. Uh, so probably. it's like, I, w- I wonder if some of that was just like, they're like, yeah, we're not going to go do that for you. That makes sense. Like probably, you know, yeah. like, we're over here and that that might, you know, like if the, you, you farm out his team to, to recreate something, to recreate his vision without him. Like, even though he's, he's not going to like take a dump on this movie, that might, that might be a bridge too far. What was he, what sure. was he doing in 84? Uh, platoon. I think they would have. No, platoon's like eighty. Well, he's not platoon. You're thinking of oh, Full the, Metal Jacket. Uh, yeah, Full Metal Jacket. Sorry. <laughs> um. Uh. No, because that's like eighty seven, eighty eight, maybe. Okay. Um. Hang on. Let's pull it up. I'm just curious. Like when you're talking about the the effects team, I'm just absolutely cu- like, what was he? Yeah. Doing? What was he doing what, what, at this point? Yeah. That's right between the Shining and Full Metal Jacket. So maybe he's working on Full Metal Jacket. Maybe. Yeah, he might have been prepping. There's seven years in between those films. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I've never sat down and mapped it out. I never realized he took so long in between films. It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah, right, right, right. And but, he did Eyes Wide Shut as his last film. Twelve years. Is that oh one? Yeah, it's ninety nine. Ninety nine. Okay. Yeah. Those, and that came AI. out on v- on VHS right when I started working at Blockbuster. Yeah, hmm. and then AI was almost going into production right and when he died and then spielberg stepped in right right which is also interesting because this movie has two spielberg veterans in it right like it's got oh sure bob balaban from close encounters and it's got roy scheider from uh-huh. jaws uh-huh, uh-huh. So, there you go interesting little connection apropos of nothing <laughs> so uh <laughs> so anyway i guess uh that's it for this one let's go around the table and everyone can say where to find them this is joe you can follow me on the twitter at joey butts b-u-t-t-s 21 this is kevin follow me on twitter at kevin r bracket and this is tom you can follow me on twitter at roger kubert or on facebook at facebook.com slash tom o'keefe find the show online facebook.com slash real spoilers while you're there like the page join the group Check out the Patreon at patreon.com slash real spoilers. And of course, wherever you're getting your podcast, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. So coming up uh, next time, uh, we will tackle uh, the new release. Since there is a new release, we're going to tackle it. We'll do that. We'll tackle Scoob. And then I think in tandem, we're going to we're going to do a real spoilers rewind rewind and take on the. Live action Scooby Doo from what's that two thousand? Uh, yeah, two thousand two, something like that. So, um, we uh, written by a then relatively unknown James Gunn. That is right. So yeah, 
you have that to look forward to. So that's it. That's it for this one. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time, it means to the stars. When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365-day returns.